You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. A new station, the Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the Voice of Islam. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, Welcome to the show. Welcome to the breakfast show at the Voice of Islam Radio. My name is Mubarazmini, and with me I have my um, co-host Daniel Ahmed. And today in this show, um, we will um, explore two interesting segments. Uh, the first one is um, Milky Way, like galaxies in the early universe rewrite cosmic evolution theories followed by the second segment which is a healthy lifestyle can help prevent depression so dear listeners do uh, stay with us throughout the segments if you have any questions or if you'd like to call in um, and uh, share your opinion the number is 020-86-87-7878 or you can tweet us at voice of islam uk Daniel, assalamu alaikum and good morning to you as well. Um, salam, zakallah and uh, good morning to you as well. So, Daniel, how was your how was your um, journey down to the to the studio? How was the how was uh, the weather today? I mean, uh, a bit sleepy when I was traveling here, and uh, you know, the winter is coming, and uh, the nights are getting longer and longer each day. Yeah, yeah, um, but the um, the temperature was better than yesterday and the day before, yeah. wasn't it? Just a couple of days before, I, I wasn't able to sleep at night um, properly. Okay. Yeah, because I think it went down to four. Yeah, it, did. And, it, went, it went down uh, to two. Yeah. Two uh, degrees, yeah. So, yeah, that's why. But, uh, yeah, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, it was, uh, it's good. Um, I do enjoy this weather as well. And uh, what about you? What do you like? Yeah, no, it's, it's obviously we we enjoy summer more, but um, we need we need the chilly chilly days as well. Yeah. Uh, sometimes yeah. um, it's got a different feel to it. Mm. Uh, winter winter has a, has a has a good feel to it, but then obviously you get you get um, the bad sides of of the weather as well. But that's something we're used to now. Mm. So the forecast uh, for the UK today. Is that it's going to be dry with with plenty of autumn sunshine for most today, turning cloudy and windy across southwestern areas and northern Ireland later. However, with gradually following with rain gradually following in behind. Tonight it will turn cloudy for a time with spells of rain pushing towards northwards across western areas at times. Some clear spells will break through the cloud. D- uh, towards dawn, however, a milder night. Tomorrow we'll see early rain clearing Scotland, leaving sunny spells here and in northern England. Meanwhile, heavy spells of rain will move in for southern areas and northern Ireland, milder. Outlook for Thursday to Saturday is windy but mild on Thursday with heavy rain and very strong winds for Scotland. Clearing to variable cloud and blustery showers in the south. 
Staying unsettled, mild and windy on Friday with spells of rain moving northwards for all, particularly heavy and persistent in the east. Drier on Saturday with showers in the east and some sunshine in the north, turning a little cooler. So listeners, do be ready for the for the for the, for the cold weathers and the, especially the rain and the winds for mm. the next uh, uh, coming days as well. And that uh, leads us to the newspaper headlines: Gaza humanitarian crisis and British sisters among missing. Efforts led by the U.S. to allow aid into Gaza have faltered. The Financial Times reports. The paper also carries the story of a city analyst who lost his cause for unfair dismissal after being sacked for submitting an expenses claim and lying about it. Mm-hmm. The Guardian also leads with the faltering of the uh, of the U.S.-led bid to ease the blockade of Gaza. Some two million Palestinians are trapped with water, food, and medicine running out. Raising the prospect of a humanitarian disaster, it says. Also on the front, it reports that Poland's ruling populists appear to be heading for defeat in the polls, with the majority of election votes counted. The Metro leads with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's call for Hamas to release all hostages taken from Israel during its attack. The paper reports that Mr. Sunak told MPs six UK citizens were confirmed to be among the dead, while ten Britons are missing. Mm-hmm. The numbers, the number of Brits missing or confirmed dead after the Hamas attack in Israel makes the front of the Daily Express. The paper says Mr. Sunak has told Jewish people in Britain that he was sickened by the rise in threats against them following the attacks and has vowed to stand by them always. Also on the front are warnings of floods and 60 mile per hour winds as the UK braces for storm. Two teenage sisters are among Britons missing in Gaza, reports the Times, carrying photographs of the pair on its front. It says their mother was murdered and their father is missing. The newspaper also reports that two people believed to be Swedish football fans were shot dead in Brussels by a gunman who remained on the run after the attack. Mm-hmm. The Telegraph also carries photographs of the two British sisters missing from Kibbutzbury, a community a few miles from the Gaza border. It says Mr. Sunak has described that the Hamas attack on Israel as a as as a program, and also includes a picture of a grieving mother whose son was killed at a music a music festival in southern Israel. Other stories on its front include analy- uh, analysis by the Institute for Fiscal Studies, which says Mr. Sunak's stealth tax rate is equivalent to a six-pence rise in income tax. Battle plans found on dead Hamas fighters reveal that Israel's soldiers will face a fierce defence of Gaza, reports the Daily Mirror. It says Israeli troops are braced for a counter-assault in tunnels 
and have been warned of booby traps and ambushes. Mm-hmm. Security experts tell that I t- that I that Israeli troops are braced for an underground war within 300 miles of tunnels. The paper reports on a delay before a ground invasion while global diplomats try to help Palestinian civil- uh, civilians escape from the Gaza Strip and says it is also that Israeli security services can gather intelligence on Hamas targets. Hundreds of prisoners will be freed early because jails are a bursting point, according to the Daily Mail. It says some criminals serving up to four years will have 18 days cut from their sentence under emergency measures set out by Justice Secretary Alice Chalk on Monday. The paper also carries photographs of the British sisters missing from Israel on its front. Mm -hmm. There are also debates about whether it is time to turn the heating on or sparking family bus stops, says the Daily Star. It leads with a poll suggesting 35% of families row over this issue, while 45% fight about who has left the lights on. Colleen Rooney told her husband Wayne, I just can't carry on after his drinking antics with other women, reports the son. It says she made the revelation in a new documentary. Several of the front pages focus on the two British sisters who are missing after the Hamas attacks on Israel. The Daily Telegraph says 16-year-old Noya and Yahel, who's 13, had been at home in Israel, a few miles from the Gaza border, when they disappeared. Their mother was killed and their father is also missing. A relative has told the Times that the family wants the British government to do whatever it can to help find them. The Daily Mirror and The Sun claim to have seen intelligence documents which reveal that Israeli troops will face a maze of underground tunnels full of booby traps if they storm Gaza. The Sun says Hamas fighters could be working on plans to lure Israeli soldiers into traps as part of the second phase of their offensive. The Eye also claims that Israel is preparing to fight Hamas in underground tunnels with a security expert telling the paper that Israeli troops are currently trying to establish where hostages may be. The US's goals of unwearing the US's goals of unwavering support for Israel and, and protecting civilians in Gaza may be, ir, ircon, may be um, irreconcilable, according to The Guardian. It says Secretary of State Antony Bilkin's commitment to approve Israelis' attempt to wipe out Hamas is at odds with his calls for a safe space for Palestinians in Gaza. Elsewhere, there are reports that Rolls-Royce is preparing to cut around 2,500 jobs as part of a major restructure. The Financial Times website says the British aerospace and defence company could make the announcement as soon as today. Three leading musical figures have published a letter in the Times in which they say planned cuts at the English National Opera will lead to the charity's demise. Edward Gardner... Sir Mark Elder and Sir Antonio Papano have called for an intervention after the company's music director, Martin Brabins, 
resigned over plans to axe 19 jobs and change contracts. The Daily Mail leads on the government's plans to release some less serious offenders from prison early to reduce overcrowding in jails. The paper says the move will mean thieves could escape prison despite Rishi Sunak's vow to, cra- to crack down on a rise in shoplifting. In a comment piece for the Daily Express, the Justice Secretary Alex Chalk insisted that yesterday's announcement didn't mean that the government was going soft on criminals. The Daily Express is among a number of papers which report on a combination of drugs which could provide a new way to treat prostate cancer. Trials found it reversed Trials found a reverse the disease's resi- the, re- the disease's resistance to therapy. The paper quotes one of the researchers who said it was tremendously exciting. And the Guardian reports on a study which has suggested that artificial intelligence could be better than doctors at treating depression. Researchers have found out that ChatGPT is capable of following recognized treatment standards without any gender or social class biases that are sometimes a factor between humans. After that, Daniel, is there any other uh, news article or any, um, any headline that you'd like to share? There isn't any, some, anything specific, but um, yeah, the Cricket World Cup is also going on. And um, yes, you know, it's kind of halfway through and uh, almost every team has played um, three matches hmm. and they have to play at least nine matches um, and um, the four teams will qualify uh, for the semis. So right now the, um, um, in, the, in the table, the four teams are India, New Zealand, South Africa and Pakistan. And uh, yeah, a couple of days ago, you know, there was an upset um, uh, in the match of England versus Afghanistan where um, sadly England lost to Afghanistan. Um, it says that it is uh, the first upset of this World Cup. But we are hoping um, for the best for um, England that they do qualify for the for the semis. But let's hope for the best. But there are still, I think, um, six more matches to play. And they still have the chance. Um, and um, and who are you supporting for um, the whole World Cup? You know it changes. I um, but yeah, certainly, um, England and Pakistan. But apart from these two teams, I always support uh, that team. You know, who has the lowest chance to <laughs> qualify? <laughs> <laughs> you like to see the odds, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so these are the news for uh, for the first segment, and uh, we'll meet you after the short break. So do join us after the after a break, um, in which we'll go straight to segment one, and you can call in if you have uh, any questions or queries. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24-7. 
24 hours a day. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, dear listeners, welcome back to the breakfast show at the Voice of Islam Radio. Uh, starting with the first segment for today, um, which is Milky Way-like galaxies in the early universe rewrite cosmic evolution theories. So, galaxies from the early universe are more like our own Milky Way than previously thought. Flipping the entire the entire narrative of how science think about structure formation in the universe according to a new research published. So Daniel, if um, for the listeners, could you explain um, what is the Milky Way? So yeah, it's um, I would say it's a very common term um, in this day and day and age, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, it is the galaxy that includes our solar system. Uh, it consists of uh, stars, dust, and uh, different kind of gases. So, <coughs> so basically, um, in in this article, uh, a team of researchers discovered that galaxies like our own mm-hmm. are, are are more common than than once thought. Um, and some of these galaxies were formed very long um, ago. Um, yeah. You know, like dating back about 10 billion years ago or longer. Um, and as you mentioned, our Milky Way is shaped like a, like a disc containing mm. um, spiral arms and, and rotating at the center. Um, but in regards to the Islamic perspective of, of the Milky Way and the galaxies and the solar system, um, could you shed some light on that for the listeners, please? Um, yeah, sure. Why not? So... Um uh, if you look at uh, the teachings of the Holy Quran, um, they are quite profound. And, um, uh, you know, I read somewhere in the teachings of um, the founder of the MTM Muslim community where he said that the human brain and uh, the mind uh, the mind and the um, universe they are quite similar to each other and um, regarding this i have found a very interesting article as well um, and its um, uh, title goes like this that universe is like a giant human brain scientists found mm. and you know um, this article is also very interesting but right now we have with us with our first guest in the show um dhara patel um dhara patel is uh, an astronomer science communicator at the royal observatory um greenwich she completed her masters in physics at the university of leeds taking many astronomy modules in the process including stars and galaxies stellar structure and evolution and cosmology um, Dara, uh, welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be on you, and good morning. Thanks. Um, Dara, 
um, Earth is located in in one of the spiral arms of the Milky Way um, called the Orion Arm. What are the, some features of the Orion Arm? Yeah, so um, firstly, I'll just clarify. I actually work at the National Space Center in Leicester now. Uh, so oh, I still sure. work in communicating science. That's absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> but part of our job then is to help kind of explain concepts like this and the idea of our galaxy and what it looks like. So you mentioned that we, our sun and our solar system is located uh, in the Orion part of the um, Milky Way galaxy. So mm. our galaxy is a spiral shape and it has like these four spiral arms coming out of it, the four main ones. And then the Orion Spur is like a, a smaller part coming off one of the main branches. And that's where our solar system is located. We're about 28,000 light years from the center of our galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the spiral arms of the galaxy uh, in our own and other spiral galaxies that we see are actually where most of the stars are, are being produced. So when we look at the spiral arms of a galaxy, mm-hmm. that's where we find the very young stars. Um, our sun is uh, kind of about four and a half billion years old. Mm-hmm. I know that seems quite old, um, but actually it's only halfway through its life. Uh, but we find sometimes the, the much older stars um, in what we call the halo of the galaxy. So although we look at our galaxy and we think of it like a, a flat disk with a spiral arm, mm-hmm. there's this big set kind of spherical halo around it. And sometimes we find the older stars um, sort of outside the disk there. Mm-hmm. And by the way, who discovered the Milky Way? So that's a, a funny question in the sense that mm-hmm. we, you know, when we look up at the, the sky and we see stars, our ancestors thousands, hundreds of thousands of years ago would have looked up and seen the same stars. Mm-hmm. Just because we have named them doesn't necessarily mean that we have discovered them, right? Because the same mm-hmm. people ages ago were looking up at them. So in the same way, when we look up at the night sky, we can see the Milky Way galaxy. It doesn't look like a spiral shape to us because we Mm. are inside the galaxy. Mm. So what we see, uh, if we're lucky enough and we have nice, clear, dark skies, is like this cloudy band across the sky, uh, a very bright kind of central bulgy region and then sort of cloudy bits on either side. Mm. Uh, And that is us looking towards the center of our Milky Way. Uh, If we take ourselves back just a few centuries, um, people like Galileo, um, uh, the astronomer back in the 1600s, mm-hmm. he was one of the first to develop a telescope. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of uh, one of the first people to actually um, observe what we call individual stars in our own galaxy. So mm-hmm. he had this concept then that, you know, our, our solar system is part of this bigger picture where we have lots and lots of stars in a galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, As we move forward, other scientists like William Herschel started to look at the different stars in the galaxy and look at their sort of different directions. And that he found, just like when we see in the sky, when we look at one part of the sky, there seem to be more stars in it. That's where we're looking to the center of our galaxy. Mm -hmm. And in the other direction, there were fewer stars. So we're starting to get this idea of the shape of our galaxy. But I would say Mm -hmm. that most of the time, it's Edwin Hubble that's actually... um, kind of credited with the idea of the understanding that we live in a galaxy and it's by his uh, mm. kind of understanding or discovery of the Andromeda galaxy and understanding that that is a different galaxy to our own mm-hmm. that we got this idea of we are in the Milky Way and there are billions, trillions of other galaxies in our universe. Mm-hmm. 
Um, uh, Dhara Patel, as you know that um, there are many um, many things that yet to be discovered, like um, um, a black hole. I know that um, just um, uh, might be a year ago or two years ago that the scientists have discovered the first black hole. Uh, and uh, do you want to explain something more about the black holes and... Uh, yeah, so we have, um, when we think about black holes, there are there are also different types of black holes. So m- most of the time, I guess, when we think about black holes, we're talking about the, the leftovers of a, a dead star. So our sun, when it ends mm-hmm. its life, it's too small, and it won't actually become what we call a stellar black hole. Mm-hmm. Um, but the m- largest stars in our galaxy and the universe, when they run out of their fuel and they end their lives, Mm. They basically collapse on themselves and then rebound in a very violent explosion known as a supernova. And left behind, right at the center of the star, is Mm. the remnant. And usually, if it's a very large star, you end up with a black hole. It's just lots of material that's crammed into such a small space Mm -hmm. that it has an immense amount of gravitational pull. Um, But those are the relatively smaller black holes. You talked about a few years ago, we imaged for the first time a um, supermassive black hole. So yeah. these are the types of black holes that are found at the center of what we believe all large galaxies. Mm-hmm. So at the center of our Milky Way galaxy, there is also a supermassive black hole. And mm-hmm. we're still unsure about how these came into being. So is it that the supermassive black holes formed from other smaller black holes mm-hmm. and then their gravity pulled in material around them to become a galaxy? Or is it that a galaxy formed and then eventually a supermassive black hole ended up at its center somehow? So supermassive black holes, very mysterious objects, mm-hmm. very interesting objects, but there's so much that we still need to learn about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that uh, whether I'm right or wrong. Uh, you can correct me. Um, is it true that our Milky Way or uh, is moving towards a very massive big black hole? So we are not necessarily uh, kind of in the, the grasp of a black hole right now. So mm-hmm. in our solar system, we are far enough away from um, any other what we call stellar black hole that we're, we're not going to be affected by it as such. But mm-hmm. the supermassive black hole that lies at the center of our galaxy is actually uh, keeping everything in our galaxy, I guess, bound. So we are actually orbiting around our galaxy we're orbiting around that supermassive black hole just like the planets orbit around our sun mm-hmm. and the planets are not going to fall into the sun and in the same way our solar system is not going to fall into that supermassive black hole but we still uh, in some way i guess um uh, feel the effects of that supermassive black hole in the sense that it keeps us within the galaxy as well and it keeps us orbiting around the center so I don't think we need to fear about um, being taken in by a black hole. We're, we're, you know, too far from anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are, yeah, we are still, I guess, in the grasp of the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. Mm -hmm. Um, Just last question that regarding the black, um, the dark matter or dark energy. Um, How close are we to understand this theory or uh, are we still far away to uh, its uh, understanding? Uh, where are we standing right now regarding the understanding of dark matter or dark energy? Yeah, it's a very, um, again, very tricky, mysterious, elusive um, kind of entity that we're thinking about here. So 
anyone that's not come across dark matter and dark energy, the idea is that everything that we, we see in our universe, so all the matter, all the planets, the stars, all the luminous things, all the energy that we can account for in the universe only makes up a very small fraction of the entire universe, about 5%, which mm-hmm. means that 95% of our universe mm-hmm. is completely unknown. Mm-hmm. And one of those things is dark matter. So the idea is this is like normal matter, it's material, um, but it doesn't interact in any way with light or energy. So there's no way of us being able to detect it other than knowing that as matter, it has a gravitational pull. So sometimes we see something that's exerting a pull or an effect of gravity on something else, but when we look for it, there's nothing there. We can't see anything there. So that's the idea of dark matter. And then the largest proportion of our universe is believed to be dark energy. And the idea is that Edwin Hubble, that we talked about, um, he kind of discovered this idea that actually our universe is expanding. Um, But not only is it expanding, it's actually accelerating in its expansion. So the universe is getting bigger, but actually it's getting bigger and bigger every single day. So Mm -hmm. it's getting far bigger today than it did yesterday. And the only way we can explain this, because uh, if we've got things in the universe, eventually gravity will start to pull everything back together. So we should see that the universe will kind of slow down. But instead, there's something that's not just making the universe expand, but driving that acceleration. And we call this entity dark energy. And when you mentioned, you know, how, how close are we to really understanding what these things are? I think we're, we're, we're still a little way from that. Um, mm. the, the really tricky thing about dark energy and dark matter is currently we, we don't necessarily have any way of being able to really detect them. So we can infer that they're there through other observations we make, mm-hmm. but actually understanding what they are is a little trickier at this time. But I okay. think that's what makes science interesting is that we, we still have these questions that we can try and answer mm-hmm. and actually... I'm sure as we make headway on trying to answer those questions, more and more questions will come up. And it helps us really, um, you know, make sure that the science we, we've got and we think that we've got right, we can really put that to the test at the same time. So it's interesting, yeah. uh, but I think we're still some way off. Yeah, sure. I mean, the universe is full of um, surprises and uh, secrets. And uh, I mean, we are advancing um, at a greater pace in understanding the these secrets. And um, uh, let's hope that we get the answers uh, what we are looking for. And um, thank you very much for being on the show and enlighten uh, enlighten us for such um, beautifully. And thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's it's a delight to have you on the show. Thank you. And um, that was um, Dara Patel. Um, she is an astronomer and science communicator at the Royal Observatory, Greenwich. And um, with this, we will move to our um, next guest, um, but uh, in, a sh- in a short while. And um, But as you know, we were talking about... Um, um through the islamic perspective um before the guest but yeah we will you know further continue with this um but right now we have with us with us our next guest dr matt bothwell 
Um, he is the public astronomer at the Institute Astronomy, University of Cambridge. Dr. Matt, welcome to the show. Um, good yeah, morning. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for having me on. And peace be on you as well. Um, Dr. Matt, um, how does looking at distant galaxies allow us to look back in time? Yeah, so this one's quite interesting. So I think the thing for your listeners to to appreciate is that all uh, looking around us, we're always looking back in time because light travels around the universe at this finite speed that we call the speed of light. Mm. Uh, even though that's a very fast speed, it is still a speed. And so when you look at anything at all, the light has to travel between that object and your eyes. So, for example, if you're talking face-to-face with someone across the breakfast table, mm-hmm. they are a few feet away from you, you're seeing that person a few billionths of a second in the past. Uh, if you look at the sun, the, the light from the sun took about eight minutes to reach us. So mm. when we see the sun, we see eight minutes in the past and so on and so on. The further away we look, the further we look back in time. So a nearby galaxy might be 10 to 20 million light years away. Mm. Uh, and and we're, so we're seeing the galaxy as it was 10 to 20 million years in the past. And we can extend that all the way back. So my research, we look at galaxies in the very, very early universe, looking back more than 10, 11, 12 billion years to the dawn of the universe when galaxies are first forming. Mm. And again, it's just by this principle of looking further away, mean looking back in time. Mm-hmm. You talked about the um, time, um, light years, for example, such and such galaxies, uh, this much Light, light years away. Uh, do you believe or are you hopeful that we will be able to um, travel um, uh, this much um, in in future? Um, <laughs> do you think that we can do it? Uh, I, I would love to know the answer to that. Um, it seems very difficult to me right now, but mm-hmm. at the same time, if you went back 500 years and asked, uh, you know, ask a scientist in the year 1500 if we would ever walk on the moon mm. they would say surely that's impossible and, and now we've done it um, as the problem with our current rocket engines that they're just not fast enough and space is too big mm. uh, the fastest rockets uh, we make can get to sort of maybe 20,000 kilometers per hour uh, a little bit fast if we do gravity assists around planets okay. but even at these speeds it would take hundreds of thousands of years even to reach the nearby stars mm. uh, so some of the nearest stars to earth are five to ten light years away and we're talking maybe a million years of travel to yeah. reach those stars and then the nearby galaxies are millions of light years away so we're talking more more than the age of the universe to reach them um so i don't know if, if i was to bet i was to say i would say traveling mm-hmm. to galaxies is completely off the table. I don't think we'll ever do it. Traveling to nearby stars, you never know. In a thousand years' time, who knows what tech we're going to have. Mm, I mean, uh, this topic such an interesting topic that it always, you know, mind-boggling. Um, like hearing such uh, interesting um, statements. Um, but yeah. So, Doctor, um, um, both the Milky Way and the Andromeda uh, galaxies belong to a subtype known as barred spirals. Um, can you explain um, what does uh, around the galaxy uh, indicate? Um, yes, if I understand, so you're asking just what a what what is a barred spiral galaxy, if you like. 
Yeah, short and short. Yeah, so a so so just a, a spiral galaxy is a galaxy that looks like a whirl of stars. Um, so it's kind of characterized by this real spiral shape. Something like eighty percent of galaxies have these spiral features in them. The remaining twenty percent are sort of slightly. Uh, sort of messy scraps of stars or just sort of round blobs of stars. So spiral galaxies are the ones that have these sort of beautiful swirly spiral arms. Like mm-hmm. if you imagine a galaxy, uh, I think most people are imagining a spiral galaxy. Now a barred spiral galaxy like the Milky Way or uh, is has these extra features where coming out of the core of the galaxy, there are these long uh, sort of like bars, like a straight line. And... Mm-hmm. These are made of stars. Like the entire galaxy is made of stars, right? When we talk about bars, when we talk about spiral alarms, it's all just structures of stars. There's a big, in a barred spiral galaxy, there's a big straight line of stars that can extend uh, tens of thousands of light years out from the core of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And we know these bars are, have, like, play an important role uh, in, like, moving gas around in the galaxies, forming stars in the galaxies. A big part of how the galaxy like lives and grows and builds itself is related to how this bar works. Mm-hmm. Um, Doctor, um, the, I believe that um, the dust and the gases they form into a big massive uh, planet. Um, but I want to know, know that how long does it take for a planet to from dust and particles or different gases to become into a massive um planet oh so, so how long would it take for a, a planetary system like the solar system to form yeah. um so so the beginning is a nebula right so a, a nebula is a latin word that means cloud uh you start mm-hmm. off with a cloud of gas in space and then that compresses down un- under gravity eventually a star is formed in the center and you get planets formed around the edge uh, along with it um, mm-hmm. I think from, from, from nebula to fully formed planetary system, maybe somewhere between 50 and 100 million years, I think would be a good guess. <laughs> okay, that's... Which for an astronomer is not very much, right? I mean, we, if, we, <laughs> if, we, if, if we're used to think about billion years, 50 million years is a blink of an eye, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that uh, these numbers are very small for you guys, uh, but yeah, for... For uh, for the for our listeners or for <laughs> me it's quite big, uh, yeah. Okay, lastly, Doctor, uh, the Southern Pinwheel Galaxy, um, Messiah eighty three, displays many features common to our Milky Way. Are there any other similarities between the two? Yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah. So the galaxy, the Southern Pinwheel Galaxy, astronomers would call it M eighty three. Like you said, it's Messier object number eighty three. M mm. eighty um, three is actually very similar to our Milky Way in a lot of ways. It is very much like seeing our Milky Way from the outside. It's a barred spiral galaxy. Um, it's roughly the same size. It contains roughly the same number of stars. Mm-hmm. Um, the big difference, I think, between M eighty three and our own Milky Way is that M eighty three. Um, is a lot more active. Um, it's forming stars more rapidly, and there are lots of supernova, lots of exploding stars going off. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our Milky Way, we get one supernova going off every few hundred years, mm-hmm. and there are lots and lots of exploding stars, even in the last century in M83. So it's a lot more dynamic, a lot more active. But apart from that, if uh, if your listeners were just to go and uh, look in their garden with their binoculars, which they can do, M83 Galaxy is... is perfectly visible through a small telescope or through binoculars you can see this galaxy hanging in the sky and it really is 
very much like seeing our Milky Way from the outside. Mm-hmm. And this thing's about 15 million light years away. Mm-hmm. If you were 15 million light years away from our Milky Way and looking back at our home, this is basically what you would see. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doctor, just one more question that, uh, as you know that earlier, I asked you that, can we travel at speed light? But is it possible that, you know, is there any other alternative like, for example, uh, wormholes, um, if you talk about such theories, um, I believe that um, these kind of theories uh, exist, um, that we can travel through these uh, wormholes uh, to shorten our distances. Um, are these theories, um, I mean, to what extent um, these kind of things do exist? Um, and can we, yeah, you can talk. Yeah, yeah, so it's a very good question. Um, I, it's, it's a hard question to answer right now. So we know that theoretically there's nothing stopping wormholes from existing. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like the, the best theory that we have of the universe overall was created by Albert Einstein, his theory of relativity. Mm-hmm. And we know you can take those equations that describe the universe and you can use them to describe a wormhole in like a mathematical way. So in theory... Like absolutely, wormholes can exist. Mm-hmm. The practice is is the problem is is there a way of making them in practice? Mm-hmm. And that one is really really difficult. Um, some people have worked on this idea. The problem is that you need enormous amounts of energy to keep the wormhole stable to stop it from collapsing. And how so much? We, uh, well, you know, think think of uh, an entire star being turned into like a little thin band to keep uh, keep the wormhole open or something. It's mm-hmm. it, it is you know very much beyond even science fiction societies you know like in star trek it's hard to imagine star trek people doing this mm-hmm. you know like if we ever get the ability to do this we are talking tens of thousands of years in the future when humans have become you know <laughs> in, enormously more advanced than we are now um it's as of right now it needs sort of incomprehensible levels of technology and energy to make a wormhole so mm-hmm. i think for now i think it's it seems to be pretty impossible yeah yeah who knows that it would be possible in, in just few years from now on. yeah you never know right i mean pre- making predictions about the future is very hard to do so you yeah. never know. okay thank you very much dr matt for being on the show it's uh, it's a delight to have you on the show and i really enjoyed uh talking to you thank you yeah, very same. much thank you uh, please uh, just, you. Yeah, yeah you too thank you for talking thank you very much so that was Dr. Matt Bothwell. Um, he's the public astronomer at the Institute Astronomy, University of Cambridge. Daniel, you were mentioning the Islamic point of view. Um, and yeah. in regards to that, we have a, a short clip which is on the question of the existence of other universes with Lord Ahmed and Dr. Zahid Ahmed Khan, uh, which I'd like to play for the listeners now. He says, um, it's clear to me that God exists and that he has made this universe and everything in it. But how can we show that God has not made another world similar or different to this one? So here it's a slightly different concept that quite often in conversations, in discussion, indeed in our daily lives, um, we're just focused on the earth and the immediate universe. I mean, indeed, earlier in the program, you mentioned about how you know some countries have made great progress and gone to the moon and mars and you know you look very young dr Saab, so uh, just, you know despite what you said earlier you've got to be young at heart there you go i think that's very important that's very nice of you thank you but we are we're, we often just focus and it's natural human instinct on that which is around you but you know to have a star trek analogy there's uh, 
universes and galaxies way beyond the one we know? Our, our capacities and capabilities have limits and we are well aware of those limits. But when we look at Allah the Almighty, we know that He is limitless, He is infinite. And uh, through His attributes, we know of all the marvels of that infinity as, as such. That man is not able to comprehend the actual vastness of Allah the Almighty as such. But even the inattribute of Rabbul Alameen describes to us that He is the Lord of not just the universe, but of all the universes. And when we look at that description of Allah the Almighty as being Rabbul Alameen, this definitely points to us that He has the capacity, capability of having as many universes uh, around us as, as there can be, again, an infinite number of universes. So there definitely Allah has the capacity and for whatever we know that our limit, our knowledge of that is limited. But there is always that, that possibility and probability that certainly Allah has uh, other universes over, over which He has mastery, just as He has mastery over this universe that we are aware of. There are many things that obviously we are not aware of and He has not given us knowledge of that as such. But that does not mean to say that there aren't these universes. So we know that the capability is there and there probably are other universes out there. Uh, very beautifully answered and uh, I would like to end this segment uh, with the uh, wordings of the with the saying of the Holy Prophet ﷺ that the word of wisdom is the lost property of a Muslim so that wherever he finds it he should take it as he is most entitled to it well um, thank you Daniel uh, for, 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 for the words of wisdom at the end um, now we'll be heading towards the 8 o'clock news after which we'll continue with segment 2. So dear listeners, do stay with us um, and then join us for segment 2 after the after the 8 o'clock news. So here is the 8 o'clock news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Dear listeners, welcome back to the Voice of Islam radio. So, Daniel, in segment two, we're going to be um, discussing a healthy lifestyle can prevent depression. And, um, you know, a healthy lifestyle that involves a healthy diet, regular physical activity, healthy sleep, and frequent social connection while avoiding um, smoking, reduces the risk of depression. That's what new research has found. Um, so we have um, some esteemed guests with us today. Um, and first we'll invite um, Dave Smithson, um, who is Operations Director at Anxiety UK. Um, Dave Smithson, good morning and welcome to the Breakfast Show at the Voice of Islam Radio. Good morning and thank you for inviting me to join you again. Thank you. Um, so, without any further ado, can you share some insights into the impact of anxiety on individuals' daily lives and overall well-being? Yeah, well, it, it, it is a really, um, it can be a really um, debilitating condition to, to live with. Um, the impact living with anxiety uh, daily is is can, can be really um, 
unsettling for some people. For some people, they can manage it quite quite well themselves. Mm. It can be very mild. And for those people, day to day, it might not be too much to to deal with. They may be able to to manage it quite easily. But for some people, if it's really really debilitating, then it, it can stop them functioning normally. It can really impact them uh, badly. And mm. I can remember speaking to one lady who was telling me. She was living with agoraphobia, which is a form of anxiety, and she hadn't been outside of her own house in over three years. And this was pre-pandemic, this was pre-COVID. Right. And I remember thinking, imagine being sort of cooped up in your house for three years because you were so, your anxiety was so great, you didn't feel safe leaving your own home. So that's how debilitating it can be and how much it can impact you. So what strategies or programs does, does Anxiety UK have, um, you know, have in place to promote mental health awareness and reduce stigma surrounding yeah. anxiety disorders? So what we do is, first and foremost, we, we, offer, um, we offer a lot of information, advice and, 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 and also services, support services to help people to live and manage their anxiety, to live with it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and what's important is that, that, that they recognise it first and foremost and understand what it is. So we do a lot of training, we do a lot of podcasts, we do webinars, we have YouTube videos to help people make, make them aware of what the symptoms that they're experiencing actually are. Because some people don't even realise that it's anxiety that's causing them to feel like that. And then we, once we've sort of educated people and informed them and made them aware of what it is that they're living with, then we, we help to try and um, uh, manage it through through a variety of different services. As I mentioned earlier, some self-help techniques, some strategies to help them cope themselves. And that could be as simple as just uh, a form of breathing, a very controlled form of breathing can calm you down and reduce your anxiety. But also reducing the stigma is important, as you mentioned. It's, you know, it's making sure people don't feel afraid to reach out and get help. And I think we're doing a lot. We, we work with... Um, Time to Talk campaign and other other charities to help raise awareness through social media, through training, um, through through podcasts to make sure people are aware that it's okay not to be okay. You yeah. know, we we all have bad periods of mental health from time to time. It's not a permanent state of things. Mm. It's like physical health; it can come and go. You know, we can have a cold or a cough one day, we'll be fine the next week. And yeah. it's the same with your mental health. Sometimes you just have a bit of a, a bad time of things, and it's important that people realise that it's, you know, the, the, the stigma surrounding anxiety and, and, and indeed mental health as a whole is something that we need to tackle. And I think we're slowly getting there, but there's a lot more work to be done in that respect. Yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, I've got some experiences with, with some uh, people that I know, some, some, some relatives who've gone through some sort of a trauma in life maybe they've lost a loved one or a close friend um and since then they've been um just just so anxious about everything and just worried all the time and they admit what they're going through and they're trying to get help um, yeah. but what we can do from our side is you know pray for them as well at the same time that absolutely be, be understanding yeah, be yeah. understanding support them don't be judgmental exactly um, so, uh, uh, Dave, how does Anxiety UK ensure accessibility and uh, inclusivity in, in, in providing mental health uh, support yeah. to diverse populations? Well, first of all, we, we, we make sure that we're targeting and that we're, we're communicating and marketing our message to all communities. So um, we, we make uh, some of our fact sheets available in different languages to download from our website. 
We've got um, uh, an inclusive um, tool on our website that allows people to, to read any part of our website in any language that they want. So we're making sure that, that it's not just uh, targeting just mm. English-speaking people. We, um, we, we, we make sure that the imagery we, we use in our, in our communications, whether it's printed materials, whether it's on the website, whether it's through our, our social media channels, that, that we, we show inclusivity in, in the imagery that we use. So we're not just um, you know, targeting one particular culture or population. We make sure that people recognize that we are inclusive, that we, we, we're not um, there just for one particular uh, organization. We're not there just for one particular culture. We're there for everybody. Everybody doesn't matter, regardless of your, 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 your circumstances, your situation, your, your culture, your religion. It, 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 can, it can harm, it can target anybody. Anxiety can, mm. can occur for anybody. And it's important that we recognize and understand that. We have you know, lots of in, equality and inclusiveness training for our staff so they will understand about being inclusive and, and being, you know, uh, making sure that we are accessible to all. We, we feel that's something that we, it's really important to us and we put a lot of work and, 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 and you know, funding in to, to help make sure that our tools and our, 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 our website and things like that are accessible to everybody. So I think it's really important that we do that. And, and, and talking to you guys today is helping spread out that, that, that message, isn't indeed. it? Yeah, indeed it is. And, and, and that's all it's about. It's, it's, it's about awareness, making sure that even the loved ones know and, and how to Absolutely. Uh, behave towards f- uh, people that are going through these kind of issues at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's about being, as I mentioned earlier, about being supportive, about being understanding and being non-judgmental. You know, don't, don't rush to judge somebody if they're having a bad time of it support them, help them through it, and they'll come out the other end a lot better and yeah, a lot stronger for it. Definitely. Um, Dave Smithson, thank you very much for being with us again, uh, for sharing insight and answering our questions. Uh, we pray for you, for, for, for all the work you're doing, for all those people in need as well. And then we also pray for all those people that are in need that may uh, God Almighty help them through their, their, their hardships as well. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Take care. So... Um, coming back to the discussion, um, Daniel, if we need to kind of like understand what depression is as well. So depression is um, a low mood that lasts mm-hmm. for weeks or months and affects <clears throat> your daily life. Certainly, yeah. Um, there are symptoms of, of depression which include feeling uh, unhappy or hopeless, mm-hmm. low esteem and finding no pleasure in things you, you usually enjoy. So, you know, you might have some, some close relatives or friends that are, do, uh, are not interested. If you've gone out to have lunch or something, you can see that they're distracted. They're not looking. They're not talking. There's something going through their mind. There's going through, something going, through, going on with them. It's important to ask them, you know, mm. is everything okay? It's, it's, it's part of uh, human nature as well that we should be looking after each other. It's, it's a right towards other human beings. Um, treatment for depression usually involves a combination of uh, lifestyle changes, um, which mainly are uh, talking therapies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and then there's also medicine available as well. Mm. And 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 a lot of things can cause um, these kind of issues, such as um, stressful events, uh, someone's personality, family history, and maybe even. Um, you know, losing a loved one or something like that, um, it, it can it can have uh, catastrophic uh, effects on on a person. Yeah, certainly. Um, as you know, that for example, as you have also mentioned, 
um, sometimes you know um, if a person is in, in kind of any um, stress or anxiety all you need to do is that you need to sit behind um, beside that person and listen to what he what he has to say uh, mm. don't say anything you know sometimes they have to you know just um, omit um, they want to just say everything to help them relieve what they are going through so um, sometimes just sit there and listen what they have to say and 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 it's important to realize that what they're saying mm. is being said in a state of um outburst i should say if that's right or wrong yeah um, and and you shouldn't take that to your you know you should let it come in you should absorb it mm. but don't have any reply to it don't try to calm them down on what Certainly. they're saying i think it's best to just let the person let it out you know sometimes you just don't need to you know present any kind of theories or yeah. any kind of big arguments that you know if you do like this you can you know uh, tackle this sometimes just sit there um be quiet and <laughs> listen to them yeah and also yeah yeah go also it you know it reminds me of a very beautiful saying of the holy prophet sallallahu that you know he said once that um smiling is also a form of charity you know for mm. example if you smile to somebody you know what you're going to do you're going to spread happiness and uh, positivity and um, it also you know helps uh, other people uh, uh, to relieve feel relief uh, from what they are going through indeed indeed um and and also um we got to realize that our spiritual our mental and and physical health are all interlinked mm-hmm. um we don't realize it we don't think about it but it's true uh, and if you test it yourself mm-hmm. um if you occupy yourself in the remembrance of god in the remembrance if if someone doesn't believe in god if someone believes um just in 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 remembering a creator or just um even meditating mm-hmm. these kind of things will definitely have an impact and and uh, help you feel uh, better and more relaxed when you can need to feel like like we need to feed our physical bodies mm. we need to feed our spiritual body as well yeah absolutely so um that comes into it as well you know sometimes what happens that somebody asks that why do i need to remember god almighty what mm. we're going to you know um give me so the point is the very simple and basic point is that our body is wired in such a way uh, or you can say the biology of our body your mind is such that we are created in a way that we need to get um in, we need to be connected with our uh, god almighty our creator the the top um the very um the, the very deity which you know created us so that's how we are created and um, if you go against uh, what you are um you know created for then obviously there would be some um side effects to it mm-hmm. indeed and um um also you know um what happens that you know it reminds me that sometimes there are other activities you can do uh, in order to tackle uh, anxiety like for example you can go to gym running and take out your anxiety uh, this is also a form of you know tackling this issue as well and, and uh, just meeting up with friends yeah you know going out for, a, for 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 some coffee for some food yeah um or just just calling one of your friends and speaking to them yeah. that's a huge difference 
Yeah, also speaking of, you know, of uh, doing exercises, namaz, the prayer is also a form of uh, exercise. Indeed, indeed. And it's, you know, it's a combination of many different um, postures, uh, exercises, uh, which not only helps you, helps you spiritually, but it also helps you, you know, physically as well. And as we know that um, the founder of the MDM Muslim community, the Promised Messiah, has also stated that um, that our very uh, being, our physical being, has a very deep connection uh, with our uh, spiritual state, and it does affect our um, uh, spiritual state to our physical and and vice versa. Indeed. Um, Daniel, I'm just going to stop you there for a second. We have with us our next guest for today, which is Dr. Uh, Musa Sami. Um, Dr. Musa Sami is a uh, clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Nottingham and a consultant psychiatrist. He is also head of research at the Ahmadiyya Muslim Research Association. Uh, Dr. Musa Sami, good morning, assalamualaikum, and welcome to the breakfast show. Walaikum assalam. I'll have to update that introduction at some point. <laughs> okay, I mean you can do it now if you if you, if if you can. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I'm a consultant psychiatrist currently, um, and I uh, I've just <laughs> uh, I've just become an insult, so I don't think I still hold that role with Amra. All oh, right, so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you still got the credentials there, though. So, um, Alhamdulillah, we'll continue with with that for now. Um, are there any uh, precautions or considerations individuals should keep in mind? when starting an exercise routine to prevent, you know, depression, especially if they have um, pre-existing health um, conditions or limitations? Sure. So I, I think it's, it's um, really important to ease into it. And um, if, if you have pre-existing conditions, it, it depends exactly what they, they are, you know. So, for example, if people have, you know, suffer from heart disease, they should speak to their doctor before um, <laughs> embarking on any kind of strenuous regime. Mm. There are some conditions, such as, you know, exercise-induced asthma, where you should be more more, more careful. Um, and, of course, you know, if you haven't done exercise for a long time, you should ease yourself into it because, you know, you, you know if you start lifting very heavy weights all of a sudden, for example, then um, you, you run the risk of injury. You should also, you know, do your stretches and, and those kind of things. Yeah. I think that the important thing here is uh, regularity and um, enjoyment, right? So if you're able to enjoy it and be regular at it, you know, even small increments are much more important than, you know, just doing one or two heavy sessions and then never doing it again. Exactly, indeed. And that comes about with um, playing badminton. I know Daniel is, is mm -hmm. a huge fan of badminton, so um, it's important to have it regularly instead of just once a blue moon. Okay, Daniel, remember? <laughs> yeah, um, sure. From an Islamic point of view, what are some specific uh, spiritual part uh, practices or, or um, prayers, rituals that can contribute to, to mental well-being and prevent depression? You know, so, so you asked me this question and I tried to think about it. And then the, the issue is there are so many you know, verses in the Quran which actually speak to this. Mm. You know, for for example, I mean, this morning I was reading. Um, I'll just read the translation. So this is in Surah Al Insira. Uh, have we not opened for you your chest and removed from you your burden? 
which had broken your back. And then it goes on that surely there is ease after hardship. I surely there is ease after hardship. This is a very well known mm-hmm. chapter, right? So, for example, this is the um, this is God telling the Prophet Muhammad uh, in the midst of his uh, you know persecution and the eventual anguish that comes with it that um, we that God gives the uh, blessings even in the in the midst of the persecution uh, which one should remember and count. And there's so many other verses. You know, I think the his Khalifa, when he was asked the question on depression and anxiety, he pointed out to a verse in the Quran that uh, in the remembrance of uh, God, the heart finds mm. comfort. There's, um, there's there's very very many uh, Quranic verses which uh, can be used and are, are actually used for people who are suffering with depression or mental anguish as a uh, reassurance. Um, so, so I think th- those verses are important, and I think actually just thinking about it, it would be important that at some point it's probably compiled, because there's so many of these verses. Um, but apart from that, I think the other things w- within uh, the, the Muslim lifestyle which are important are prayer. And prayer is, for example, known to be a protective factor for uh, depression. Um, there's also the social aspect um, of um, for example, you know, Muslims meet in a mosque regularly um, to pray. And we also know that, you know, loneliness, um, you know, exacerbates depression, makes it uh, much worse. There's other things as well within um, the Islamic lifestyle. For example, at times of grief, um, you know, it's, it's very important for Muslims to come together and support each other. And uh, that, that's also been well known to alleviate kind of the mental stress and tension that comes at that point of time. So uh, there are many, many um, kind of religious practices which, uh, within Islam which are protective for depression or ameliorate its effects. We have to be slightly careful when we talk about this place. It doesn't mean that you know religious people will never <laughs> suffer from mental mm. problems. Uh, you know, there's a common kind of fallacy. And, and so there are certain other religious understandings sometimes which can be more harmful than and useful. Um, I think one of the other things is, you know, the, the the approach. So, for example, in Islam, there you know there are particular um, qualities which are should be aspired to. These are, you know, there's, there's one called sabr, which is patience, and tawakkul, which is having a hope in in God. Um, and those are very, very important. And it's not just in Islam, this is in other religions as well. I, I used to work in a, a ward in um, in the Maudley, which is a very big hospital, and a very prestigious hospital in London. And on, on the ward, there was a quote from the Psalms, you know, saying, this too shall pass, right? So, um, you know, I think, you know, religion or spiritual uh, beliefs certainly have a role in helping ameliorate uh, symptoms of depression or mental anguish for those who um, have a, a religious or spiritual background. Indeed. Um, Dr. Musa Sami, thank you very much for, for joining us this morning uh, and for answering our questions. Um, and may Allah the Almighty help you in all your further endeavors as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was Dr. Musa Sami. Um, and next we have a pre-recorded interview with uh, Dr. 
Shaquille Ahmed um, and Dr. Shaquille Ahmed is um, a consultant uh, psychiatrist based in London. He specializes in working with adult mental health disorders. Dr. Ahmed is the president of the new modern branch of Ahmadiyya Muslim Association in the UK. So we have with us Dr. Shaquille Ahmed um, and Dr. Shaquille, assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum, peace be on you. So, um, Dr. Ahmed, as a consultant psychiatrist um, working with uh, adult mental uh, health disorders, um, we see mental health problems like uh, depression uh, to be on the rise. Um, is it so? And if so, could you explain to our listeners why it is? Um, that is correct. The WHO data that has been uh, coming out over the recent years and particularly following the COVID pandemic has shown that the certain types of mental health disorders are on the rise. Now, just for clarification of the listeners, the mental health disorders can be categorized into different types, and there's only a specific type that is on the increase. So I think it would be helpful that I just briefly mention the different categories. Yes, One of them is the uh, organic brain-related disorders, which are something like a mental disorder in relation to a brain disease, in relation to an endocrine or a hormonal disorder, or to head relation to head trauma, like a road traffic accident, or in relation to epilepsy, etc. Now, this is, uh, these are called organic or physiological brain disorders. They are not on the rise. The second category is uh, the mental disorders that are genetically determined, um, like a commonly known one is schizophrenia or a manic depressive illness. Yet again, their uh, incidence and epidemiological data shows that they are not on the rise. But the third category, which is our response to stressful environmental uh, factors, so it is a person's individual psychological ability to cope and respond to stress around them. And as we know, stress is present everywhere. Um, our job has stress-related factors. Family dynamics can produce stress, or certain financial difficulties can produce stress in the family. So it is those kind of uh, uh, mental disorders that are in response to stress and that does include a certain type of depression or anxiety or PTSD. These kind of illnesses are on the rise. So yes, I think your implication, your question is based on the right um, facts that these disorders are increasing. Um, you also asked in your question as to why this may be. Yes. Now, I think if we analyze the world situation, we know, and even from looking at a single news bulletin, we know that there is more difficulties, there's more uh, unfortunate news about conflicts and destruction and mm -hmm. poverty and hunger or disease that people don't have enough resources to find remedies or adequate treatment for them. So all this is on the increase. And it is for that reason that um, 
it's not very complicated to understand that the stress is on the increase. So that's one reason. And then we, if we look a little bit more deeply into the social factors of society, we would notice that materialism is on the increase. So people's preoccupation with wealth or with monetary success <clears throat> is on the increase. And that leads to stress even in those who achieve material success. And um, Dr. Hamid, for have, um, you know, they might have an elderly father who are suffering from depression and, and other disorders. What's your advice to them? How can they help? Easy, as uh, said that, yes, let's go get some, um, let's go see the doctor. You obviously need to come to them in some sort of a loving and, and some sort of a strategy to speak to them about it, right? Do you mean if a family member is unwell, how to help them or encourage them? Yes, yes, you, you're absolutely right. You have to come up. You, you can even give them examples or explain to them that, look, such treatments are available within the health service and the, your GP will guide us and the GP will be the first um, point of contact, but they can refer to secondary mental health services as well, to specialist services. Um, and we need to encourage our family members if, if we think that they have this kind of a disorder. Um, so a lot of uh, information to decide whether something is a disorder or not is also available on the internet these days. So you know our uncle Google teaches us a lot of things. Um, and I would encourage people to Indeed. read about how it, um, what is a disorder and how, what kind of treatments are available. And you can even take that information to your doctors. We find that a lot of patients are coming up with suggestions about treatment, having done some research on internet nowadays. So they come up with their preferred options, et cetera, and we've got to discuss it with them. Um, Dr. Ahmed, thank you very much for uh, joining us, uh, answering our questions and sharing your wisdom with our listeners in regards to um, mental health disorders. May Allah the Almighty uh, help you in all your endeavors in your research and all the work that you're doing lives with these kind of disorders as well. And we pray for those that are suffering and going through these kind of um, disorders that may Allah the Almighty enable them and, and peace our heart as well at the same time. So thank you very much for being with us. Thank you very much and peace be on you and all your listeners too. Thank you. So that was um, Dr. Shakila with a very short interview with him. Uh, right now we'll take a short break and uh, please do join in. Uh, after the short break. There is an account narrated about Syed Abdul Qadir Jalani, may Allah have mercy on him, that when he set out away from home for the purpose of his education, his noble mother sewed his share of 80 coins into the underarm of his shirt and advised him, Son, do not lie. When Syed Abdul Qadir departed, on the first day of his journey, he passed through a jungle that was inhabited by a large band of thieves and robbers. A party of robbers confronted and apprehended him. The robbers asked, What have you got in your possession? Syed Abdul Qadr thought to himself that he was being tested in the first stage of his journey. 
he reflected over his mother's advice and said, I have eighty coins which my noble mother has sewn into the underarm of my shirt. The robbers were extremely surprised on hearing this and said, What is this dervish saying? We have never seen such a righteous man. They took him and putting him before their chief related the entire story. When the chief questioned him, Syed Abdul Qadir Jalani gave the same response. Finally, when his shirt was torn at the place that he had described, it turned out that there were indeed 80 coins sewn into his shirt. All the robbers were astonished, and the chief asked why Syed Abdul Qadir Jalani had told them the truth. At this, Syed Abdul Qadir Jalani mentioned the advice that his mother had given him before he departed. He said, I have set out as a student of religion. If I had told a lie at the very first stage of my journey, what could I expect to attain? And so, I chose to stand by the truth. When Syed Abdul Qadir had said these words, the chief burst into tears, fell at his feet, and repented for his sins. It is said that this chief was the first follower of Syed Abdul Qadir Jalani. In short, truth is a thing that delivers a person in even the most trying and difficult of times. Saudi is true when he says, Never have I seen go astray the one who treads the right path. Therefore, the more a person adopts the truth and develops a love for the truth, the deeper a love and understanding they develop for the word of God and also for his prophets, because they are an example and source for all those who are truthful. This principle is also prevalent in the following instruction. Be with the truthful. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Voice of Islam. Um, please uh, do call us at 020-8687-7878 or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK or you can go to our website um, the voice at www.voiceofislam.co.uk um, um, As dear listeners, as you know that uh, we are discussing the topic of um, anxiety, uh, how to overcome it and regarding this uh, we have a very beautiful um, short clip um, where His Holiness the Mr. Masroor Ahmad um, give us the guidance about depression and anxiety let's listen to this short clip so this is what Allah Ta'ala has said in the Holy Quran Allah that remembrance of Allah is the best way for the satisfaction of your heart. Right? So if you remember Allah, whenever you have any problem, you bow before Allah, you offer your five daily prayers fervently, sincerely, then Allah will give comfort and satisfy your heart. Right? And resultantly, you will feel comfortable and better. So that was a short clip um, where His Holiness, you know, beautifully explained regarding depression and anxiety. Right now we have with us our next guest, Dr. Rebecca Robinson. Um, Dr. Rebecca Robinson is a consultant in sport and exercise medicine who works with elite athletes 
across a range of sports and who has recently been elected as council member for the Faculty of Sport and Exercise Medicine UK. Um, she is also a keen runner uh, who has represented uh, Great Britain in both marathon and mount running. Um, Dr. Becker, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning and peace be on you. Good morning and thank you very much for inviting me today. Um, thank you very much. Um, Dr. Rebecca, um, you are a consultant in sport and exercise. Um, would like to know that um, that eating habits, um, for example, um, or you can say eating disorder, how much does it you know affect on your on your health and diet in term? It, it can certainly affect overall health. so, um, people who have disordered eating, um, it can impact their everyday life because it will impact how they are able to interact with their social circle, with their family, um, but also upon their physical health. So obviously we focus on the good things in terms of nutrition, but some people will focus too much or in some cases too little upon the good balance. But when they focus too much, sometimes that can take over aspects of their well-being and it can narrow their focus so that instead of being a holistic person looking at their health they are um, very focused and this can be detrimental and they can potentially lose weight or gain weight that is less healthy for them mm-hmm. and um, doctor what are the key factors um, in keeping uh, one's health you know on a good track um, I think it's important to look at both the mental and physical health. So I think physical activity, exercise, we can call it any of the names for active movement, anything Mm. that we enjoy can really stimulate our physical health. It can help our bones. It can help our body's metabolism. So that's kind of the heart and lungs engine to be fitter and to be more well. Mm -hmm. And that can really help to avoid some conditions such as heart conditions, such as diabetes, and even some conditions like cancers can be impacted in a good way by mm-hmm. moving more but it can also really help our mental health it can really help reduce anxiety and depression even if people experience those quite significantly mm-hmm. and doctor uh, in your opinion um, what role does you know mental health play in an athlete's overall performance and well-being if we talk about the athlete's health Oh, it's really important. Um, Athletes who do their sport for a living uh, or focus on getting to, for example, the Olympic Games, Mm. it's a lot of pressure. So they are very focused, incredibly talented individuals. And sometimes, you know, they're lucky to be able to do the sport that many people would wish to do. Mm -hmm. However, they will have challenges on their mental health, the same as anybody else. Um, And maybe that will come from before their sport and be separate from their sport. But the pressure of winning, of um, focusing so hard on what they and their bodies can do can also create its own stresses. And that can sometimes impact their mental health. In some of the sports and the sports that I work with, Mm. um, we have really good links to mental health support, um, which means that we can help them to have good mental health. And if they have issues, that we can work with some mental health professionals to make sure that they are well in their minds as well as their bodies because that's the only way that they can have good performances in the long term but also more importantly high levels of well-being mm-hmm. and doctor have you ever encountered any specific mental health challenges during your 
your athletic career or, or and how did you manage them? That's that's a really good question. I think um, overall, I would say that I I came into running as a sport um, just mm-hmm. by almost by a happy accident, and overall, its impact, it's mm-hmm. the way that it helped me have a social circle around it has been very very powerful for my mental health so on overall i would say it has been a tremendous positive and it's one of the reasons that i hope that many people can find just the form of physical movement that they enjoy mm. i think for me when i have been injured for a long time that's hard because you miss that aspect and you miss that if that is your outlet for the way that stress is processed or even that you enjoy to go out and see a beautiful autumn day um, when that is not there it can be difficult and you need to look for some other ways and that might mean friends and family to improve your mental well-being. But I think sometimes the patience of waiting, for example, if you're injured or, or if you have other issues in life that normally you would enjoy going outside and either running or cycling, mm-hmm. it can be hard to channel that some other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, doctor, in your career, um, you have, you know, uh, it's a long career. You must have seen that um, in athletes' uh, life, um, you know, in its career, that what are other factors apart from mental health that you know affects his um, his health or his physique or his performance and well-being? I think there are there are many factors, and the athlete's athletic career is getting longer, so. Until quite recently, people would um, potentially stay in their sport until at the maximum the age of 30. And now in many mm. elite sports, even in football, people will be 40 and beyond. So they may start at a young age and carry mm. that on. So I think for them, having other things in their life is important. There is an encouragement to focus so, so much on the sport, but to build other aspects of their identity and that not be all of whom they are. I think those are the athletes who will be the happiest and hopefully mm-hmm. as people have the most balance. Um, I think in terms of the elite athletes, there is a really great team around them. So they will have medicine, mm. physiotherapy, nutrition, psychology. Um, they will have a coach. And sometimes I really wish to have that for my patients who have mm. other health conditions or maybe no health conditions specifically, but mm. having a team who can help them to grow in all those different areas. To me, it seems like the model in those sports that do it well could quite well be translated into many people in the general population. Mm-hmm. And um, Dr. there would be many uh, from our listeners that would be keen to, uh, you know, most probably like to go into um, this career of being an athlete. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to them um, in terms of uh, keeping their health uh, on track? I think making sure that it's something that they love to do and mm. potentially not setting the expectations um, of the end goal of what they will achieve, but enjoying the journey mm. along the way, because that way they can find that they really want to be doing that thing and they can be safeguarding their health along the way. And, do you know, um, being physically active and enjoying sports, it can be at so, so many levels. But mm. I think being brave to go out there and thinking I can I can do this. So some people will want to compete at the international level. Mm. Some people, it's just as important to go to their local you know, cricket club or to their local gym and get involved because you just do not know who you will meet and you do not know how those relationships will support you through your whole life way, way beyond the sport. Mm. And also, you know, I also want to know that, you know, sometimes it happens that um, there's some sometimes uh, pressure from family side or 
society pressure or you know the kind of pressure where you are expected to perform um, on a certain uh, level uh, how mm-hmm. can a person especially an athlete uh, can deal such pressure yeah i think that's a great question and it can be difficult i think especially for the young person for mm-hmm. example a young athlete going into a sport that could come become professional at an older age such as football there can be a lot of pressure to be the one who succeeds and many many will try and we see in the newspapers and the magazines the ones who succeed and that is all of their career but i think making sure that again it comes down to still enjoying it and if the pressure feels more like oh i must do this then mm. to look around why it is feeling like that and potentially take some time out i think for for the families of younger people anybody in doing league sport is to support them um to remember that that is their journey and it's their success um doesn't really reflect on the people around them as in the people around them can support them that is really good but they mustn't force them or think that it is essential that they win at all the costs so i think it should be a healthy journey that way and that the athletes or if it's you yourself should not feel under so much pressure to win but it should be checking in that am i remaining healthy in my mind in my body um and am i having a life that lets in more things than this sport mm. i think those those checks would be important mm. i think it's really necessary to you know um to be aware of such things because you know um i believe that uh, many senior uh, um athletes you know they kind of can can deal with such pressures but mm. those who are way junior uh, or in their mm-hmm. you know early uh 20s um you know are very vulnerable to such pressures yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, they need you know they need kind of such kind of awareness and guidance uh how to cope with such pressures or deal with such pressures and you know thank you very much for explaining such beautifully yeah and well, lastly thank you very much and just one more question uh how can sure. you know coaches and sports organizations uh promote mental health awareness and uh, some uh, sport among athletes oh that's another great question i think being aware i think in the sports that i work with and at sports at all of the levels the coaches learning to really helps so if some of the coaches sometimes you can do what is called a mental health first aid course um so there are things like that that exist learning just a little bit about what some of the pressures might be whether it's around for example body image or mm. eating disorders or mental health and like anxiety or depression so just so that a coach can recognize because for example if someone is a little bit down that day it may be that they do want to have a conversation but you know it may be that for example someone it doesn't help to come over and say hey what is wrong with you it may be they're not mm. able to open up but if someone has a little bit of knowledge about the condition and thinks they can make it a safe place for that person to come and talk to them then that can open up a conversation and it can help that coach or family member or supporter from the team to help them in the longer term so i think just a little bit of education and sometimes bringing that education into the sports team if somebody in the local community can lead a session that could open up conversations and make people realize that all of us have mental health mm. um and many many people will find that they struggle but it's not then a taboo and they can talk a little more openly and then support each other yeah certainly um dr becca uh, thank you um, very much for being on the show it's it's been a delight um for having you um and i'd like to see you in future as well that would be lovely and thanks so much for inviting me thank you very much peace be on you so that was dr um 
Dr. Rebecca Robinson, she is a consultant in sport and exercise medicine who works with athlete, um, athletes across a range of sports and who has recently been elected as council member for the Faculty of Sports and Exercise Medicine UK. Um, if we talk about um, Islamic um, perspective, um, we see that, you know, uh, Islam also emphasizes uh, very much uh, on on our diet as well because it also has a very deep connection um, to our not only our spirituality but also our physicality and um, as you know it says um, in the Holy Quran that uh, that is to say that eat meat and other uh, foods but do not eat anything to excess you know because um, it might have you know um, um, adverse effects on your health on one's health so eating in a eating a very balanced and healthier diet is is also very necessary uh, to deal um, with your anxiety or depression as well because it it might affect your body uh, in a negative way if you eat very unhealthy diet or 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 you can say it eat eating too many fast food is also you know can have adverse effects on one's health as well so keeping that um, advice in mind eat but eat in a very balanced diet and um, um, may Allah the Almighty, you know, enable us to understand uh, the beautiful teachings of Islam as well. And because um, if we, you know, because um, at the end of the day, not only our physical health matters, but also our mental and our spiritual health also matters as well. Um, and also that the physical health and the mind and the spiritual health are very much interlinked into each other and we need to keep um, not only our physical health um, uh, on the track uh, um, on the right track but also our physical health as well so may Allah the Almighty uh, enable us to you know understand this thing and um, um, and uh, um, we should try to, you know, um, um, make our daily life according to these teachings so that, you know, we can get the best outcome, not only from our physical um, physical health, but also from our, you know, spiritual health as well. Uh, with this, we are, um, you know, heading towards the end of our show. And... Um, I would like to thank our producer Dania Nasir and our researchers, our tech uh, technician um, Zishan. And uh, with this, um, I would like to thank our listeners for tuning in and our experts for taking time out to discuss the topics. Um, please do uh, tune in for the for the show tomorrow at seven o'clock. And till then, peace be on you. Asalaamu Alaikum.